G'day, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. My name is Adam and I want to extend a warm welcome to you. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 18th of September 2022 and our sentence of scripture comes from Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord, there is no one like me, no God like me, a righteous God and Saviour. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Let's have a time of praise. Be 
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Bible readings are outlined on the bulletin. So you might find it easier to print that off and read what I'm about to say. Uh, our Old Testament reading comes from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, and verse 12, and verse 18, and then verses 28 to 32. Our psalm comes from 116, verses 1 to 14. And our Bible reading, if you're in church, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 24. Uh, is helpful. Uh, if you're by yourself uh, or if you've got a confident reader, feel f free to read from verses 14 to 41. That's um, what I'm going to be preaching from today. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, we ask for your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. King Charles III coronation still a little way off coronation will celebrate his ascension to the throne uh, more than a few news outlets have run the headline well who is king charles iii who is he really what are we getting here uh, what will his reign look like uh, as we think about that question we might ask what about the ascension of jesus Peter's audience might be like, who is this Jesus? Why do you think he's Lord? Uh, Jesus is Lord of all as he sits at the right hand of the Father. We've seen that in Acts 1. And we've seen him in Acts chapter 2 see Jesus rule in the hearts of believers as his spirit is poured out. And now we see Peter explain all of this to, to uh, Jewish listeners. Remember, here he's, he's in Jerusalem. Verse 14, uh, this is fun. Do you see the first recorded game of cricket is in the Bible? As Peter stood before the 11 and he was bold. <laughs> All right, no, maybe not. Let's look at verse 14 properly. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Notice he is urgent. They've got to listen carefully. Uh, what follows then is the first sermon of the early church. Uh, do we have Richard Johnson's first sermon at Sydney Cove under the trees from 1788? No, we don't. But we've got the Apostle Peter's, which is incredible. Uh, remember, he's talking to fellow Jews, verse 14, verse 22, fellow Israelites. And he speaks as a fellow Jew who previously disowned Jesus himself. Good to remember. Yet now he is bold. Now he is empowered by the Spirit as he speaks of Jesus, his Saviour and his Lord. Peter basically says in his sermon, two parts. The Spirit came down because Jesus went up. That's the sermon, really. Uh, 
Remember, the Jews here are bewildered, verse 6, perplexed, verse 12. They're making fun, verse 13. And how does Peter engage with that? Well, he, he says, please open your Bibles. Please open your Hebrew scriptures to Joel chapter 2. And then he says, all of this that's happening in front of you, all that you see and experience, it's that. It's that which Joel chapter 2 spoke of. So pick it up at verse 16. Uh, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So no, they're not drunk. This is what was spoken of. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What God promised in Joel chapter 2, that is happening now in front of your very eyes. Read the promise. Read the promise. Now see the fulfillment. It's happening right in front of you. That God has poured out his spirit on all people. See them represented here. That people will speak and declare the wonders of God. Uh, they will see the wonders of God. They will think and dream the wonders of God and their heads are going to be filled with it. And again, verses 1 to 12, it's all happening right here that Joel spoke of. Notice verse 17, the last days are framed by the ascension of Jesus, but also his return, verse 20, that great and glorious day of the Lord. Which means for us, we still stand in the last days, these days, until Christ comes back. And what is the goal? Verse 21, you can see it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here is the point of it all. What is the point of Jesus' reign? Salvation. See, <laughs> does ever strike you as curious? Why do, we, why do we sing God save the King? Because even King Charles needs to be saved. And the Lord is the one to do it. That's why. Do we see here in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus is the focus? That he is key? That without Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. Without the Lord Jesus, there's no good news to proclaim. Without the Lord Jesus, there's no salvation. Without the Lord Jesus, who can we call on? Who's at the end of the line? As you think about life and meaning, who is it? Now, as we move to the next section, thinking caps, all right? Peter, Peter's fellow Jews need to catch up. All right, so verse 21, if all who call on the name of the Lord are to be saved, you've got to know who the Lord is, right? And uh, there's no doubt uh, they hear Lord and they go to God, big picture God. Peter's got some news for them. So come with me, look at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. See, you already know the mighty acts of power and the signs and wonders of Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. You 
already know that you've seen that he is Lord. Every single miracle is a work of mercy. It was life-changing. It removed fear and it brought life and joy and peace. This is what God does. To people unable to save themselves, all of these miracles displayed the love and compassion of God himself, but also his awesome power. All serve as a lesson that salvation, ultimate salvation, comes from God. We can't save ourselves. Jesus comes into our space and shows that we need him to do it for us. He shows that Jesus is Lord and God. And Peter's saying, you yourselves know. But you killed him. Look at verse, I know, verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here is a massive indictment, not just on the Jews, but all of humanity when we strung God up on the cross. Why do I say all of humanity? Because you clearly means the Jews, but wicked men actually refers to the rest of us, the Gentiles, those without the law, like the Romans. And so Peter doesn't actually miss anybody here. Was the cross an accident? Was it outside of God's scope and power? No chance. God is bigger. God never says, oops. Was it wicked? Oh, too right. Absolutely. Of course it was wicked. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead. Who? Jesus. That's right. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. But God. That's the difference. Humanity at their worst can never thwart God's determination to love and to show grace to the undeserving. You intended it for evil, but God aimed it for good. That's Genesis 50. It was impossible for death. See that? Death is the loser. It's impossible for death. But we know nothing is impossible for God. Christ is the victor. He is the Lord. And here is why we can be saved and why we need to be saved. Incredibly, this is where Peter then takes his listeners to a psalm of all things. A song written by David, a king from Israel's golden age. Let me read it. It continues, verse 25. David said about him... Who? David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. Wow. Who is it that David sings about? It's the Lord. But again, that's our question, isn't it? The Lord who? Verse 24. God raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. It was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Again, that's Jesus. Verse 25. David said about him. Who? Jesus. Hang on. but Well, where's David then? Is he... Peter explains, no, no, he's, he's passed. 
fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, he died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Okay. Still true, by the way. Go to Jerusalem and pay your respects, verse 30. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. How did he know that? Yep, because he was a prophet, says Peter, but also the promise, uh, it's recorded. We don't have Reverend Johnson's sermon, but we've got a promise recorded from 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. As God speaks to King David, and what is the promise? Let me read it for you. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, all right, David, when you're dead, when you're long dead, I'll raise up an offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. You see that? And he will establish his kingdom. His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See? This will be an eternal rule, an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom forever. And verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. Here is the promise of God. A kingdom, a divine kingdom, his kingdom, established by him with flesh and blood, right? Through the line of David, this Lord will rule. That's the promise. And so David goes and writes a song about it, as you do. He keeps explaining, verse 31, Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Here is the resurrection in the Old Testament. Thank you, King David. Peter says, Psalm 16, all that David sang about, and Israel too, is about the resurrection of Jesus. Application, look at verse 32. God raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses to it, says Peter. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. We saw it. Now Peter is saying to his listeners, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see that Jesus is risen? That he's the Messiah, the Saviour and the exalted Lord? Do you see it? What you now see and hear are God's promises being fulfilled not only from Psalm 16, but also from 2 Samuel 7 and other places. We keep reading, For David, he did not ascend to heaven. No, not like Jesus did, see. But he still said, Psalm 110 this is now, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make of your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, that's 2 Samuel 7, 14. I will be his father. He will be my son. See the way they relate? That is a the Lord said to my Lord moment for David. As God the Father relates to God the Son. My Lord said to my Lord. It's not like God's talking to himself. We have an, we have an ottoman at home. Uh, and sometimes just for fun, Tanya will call it a buffet because apparently that's what some people call it. And um, it's we use our ottoman not just for feet but dinner or 
TV remote. It's a footstool, right? You know I'm going with this. Uh, in 1922, archaeologists opened up the tomb of Tutankhamun and they found a picture of his throne. In front of the throne is a footstool and on the footstool uh, was, were carved in images of Egypt's nine traditional enemies. All engraved. Every time Tutankhamun sat on his throne, his feet would be, quite literally, on the necks of his enemies. Nice! And apparently this is a thing in the ancient Near East. They all kind of did this. Same thing, apparently, on the bottom of his sandals. Uh, there's no throwing darts at a picture on a wall for him. No, the picture went in his soles, of his shoes, his thongs, sandals, sorry. And his enemies were quite literally trodden down with every step. The risen, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus, guess what? He has a footstool. Whose faces are pictured on it? Is it the Jews and the Gentiles from verse 23? Would that be just and fair? Would it? Well, actually, yeah, it would be. 1 Corinthians 15 says Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And what is the last enemy? The last enemy is death. Death is the last enemy. It's interesting because as I wrestle with what, who is the enemy here? Uh, verse 23, death is on view. Three, three times death is mentioned in verse 24, verse 27, verse 29 about bodily decay and all that kind of death stuff. It's there. Was that five, six times? Uh, and now you might be going, oh, thank goodness the enemy is death. I can detach myself a little bit now. But not if we understand that death is our due. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death is the result of sin. Sin is our dismissal of God when we set him aside. And the crucifixion pictures that which is true every other day, our rejection of God. We reject his word. We reject his promises. We think we know better. We think we're above him. And that is all called sin. Where I decide what is good for me, not God. And sin is what separates us from God. And so hear this very clearly. Uh, there are worse things than even death, though it's the last enemy. It's one of many. It's the last of a run. And trust me, sin is an enemy. And if there are worse things than death, can I say separation from God on account of our sin today and eternally? That is a bigger issue. That is far worse. Death is a consequence. Sin is a symptom. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom he crucified both Lord and Messiah. Do you see the assurance and the comfort he offers? It's okay, be assured. I gave you a picture of the footstool, but don't worry, because look what God has done. Jesus is Lord and Saviour. So can we grasp this incredible scene as Peter preaches? You executed God 
You executed God's son, but God. You spiked the Lord to a tree, verse 23, you and others. You did your absolute worst, but God. Do you see it? They murdered God's son. You keep refusing God. And what is the invitation? What is the invitation? Oh, no, it's the footstool for them. Go to hell, you lousy bunch of rat bags. Judgment, fire, brimstone. Is that the invitation? Is this the God that you know? Does God cancel his promises? Does God get all capricious and spit the dummy and walk away, take his bat and ball and go home? Does our unfaithfulness change God's faithfulness? Well, let me ask you, does Jesus rule from the right hand of God? Did God still send his spirit? Does God still hold his, out his hands of love and grace and welcome and infinite patience. I hope that's the God you know. It's a little wonder they ask, well, what can we do? What should we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent, turn around, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. It's all one picture. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The invitation is to turn to God in Christ and live. Here is the goal again. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See that Jesus is the Lord. See that Jesus is the key. See that Jesus, though we reject him, he is determined to love us unconditionally that he will take it all on his shoulders, all that was coming to me, he will go through the doorway of death and he will experience all of death's stench and sting. And he says to us, as the exalted Lord, he's gone there so that you need never have to go there. He has paid for our sin. Our debt is forgiven. And now Jesus invites us. He says, let me carry you through. Let me carry you through as Saviour and Lord. Bypass the footstool and come with me instead. Repent. Turn to him and live. Verse 41, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. I'm comforted by Luke 15. that says there's plenty of rejoicing in heaven or more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents. <laughs> Maybe that one person is you. Maybe you've listened and you've recognised that this is something that you need to do, that you need to commit yourself to the Lord. And if it is, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you to join with me and I'm going to pray things like, I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve it. I'm guilty. I'm sorry and I need your forgiveness. And then I say, thank you for sending your son to die in my place. Thank you that he rose from the dead so I can have new life by the Spirit. Please forgive me and change me that I might live with Jesus as Lord. If that's your prayer, please join me. Dear God, 
I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your good promises. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. And I'm sorry. Father, I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life by the Spirit. Please forgive me and change me so that I may live with Jesus as Lord and Saviour all of my days. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, uh, can I encourage you to talk with someone? If you know me or if you don't, give me a call, flick me a note. Uh, it's really important. If you've done business with God at this moment, it's really important to talk about that further with a mature Christian leader who can help you uh, to keep walking with Jesus. So let me encourage you to do that.
Brothers and sisters, this is the time in our service we set aside uh, for us to pray. And uh, a blue screen will appear with prayer points to lead us in that and to give us cues if we need them. Also, please remember to pray in light of the scriptures that we've opened up today. Super encouraging, uh, great things to be thanking God for. His Son, the Ascended Risen King the gift of the Spirit that empowers us to witness that um, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. So we need to be praying that more people will be calling on the name of Jesus. There's a prayer. Uh, I commend that to you. Remember the blue screen, I said that. Uh, also, in our bulletin, uh, Matt has written uh, a good blurb on the question, what is it to be Anglican? Great question in the present climate, if you're an Anglican. So I commend that to you. There's lots of ideas about Anglicanism and people talk about popular Anglicanism or mainstream Anglicanism, whatever that's supposed to be. Um, Matt writes a, a very helpful article and I commend that to you. Also in points of prayer, we could pray about the Anglican Communion. We have Synod coming up. Uh, we'd appreciate your, your prayers, absolutely. Uh, many of you are praying for the Royal Family, I know. And uh, that's a good and helpful thing to do as they grieve as a family and as our, um, our nation and the Commonwealth grieves the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, we pray for King Charles as he ascends to the throne that uh, he'll be wise and that he'll be godly and that most of all that God would save him. That's a good prayer. My Lord and God 
Let me close with this encouragement from 1 Corinthians. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.